and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn podcast, the podcast where I, along with a colorful cast of characters, aka co-hosts, aka friends that I roped into doing this, aka fellow book and movie nerds, talk about movies based on books as well as the original source material. A couple of warnings real fast. Yes, there will be some barnyard language. Yes, we will do all the spoiler things. These books and movies have probably been out for a while. Some of them are a little bit new, but still, we want to be able to talk in depth about the endings. So if you haven't watched or listened, proceed with caution. As I said, there will be a rotating cast of characters. However, we do have a few regular co-hosts that will be joining me. But don't worry, I'll tell you who they are at the beginning of every episode. You can listen to all of them and me and all of our past episodes if you go to kmmamedia.com. You can click on the Pages and Popcorn podcast link and see a back catalog of all of our episodes. This podcast used to come out every other week, but that was an unsustainable amount of work for somebody who's losing her vision and has other things to do with her life. That's me, by the way. So we are now doing one episode a month, pretty much. Occasionally, there might be more than one, but what you can basically expect is one episode in the middle of the month. We're aiming for the 15th. We'll see how it goes. One last thing, if you want to support the show, of course, there's Patreon and buy us a coffee. Or you can do the best thing of all, rate and review us and tell your friends to listen. The more listens we get, the better I feel, the more likely I am to keep making shows. Okay, that about sums up the intro. Thank you once again for joining us on today's episode of Pages and Popcorn Podcast. It's Pages and Popcorn. It's Pages and Popcorn. It's Pages and Popcorn. It's Pages and Popcorn. First we read the book. Yeah, yeah. Then it's movie time. Yeah, yeah. Now it's time to talk. Yeah, yeah. And you know we're feeling fine. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's pages and popcorn. It's pages and popcorn. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn podcast. This is Kalia. I'm so excited today to be joined by Sarah who is joining me from the Zombie Girls podcast, and we're going to talk about a horror story slash movie. You know how much I love those. Real fast, before we get started, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for being here today. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so happy to have you. It has been a while. I We met a while ago, and you were like, podcast, and I was like, podcast, and then we never <laughs> quite came together to podcast together, so very excited about this but tell us a little bit real quick about zombie girls and then at the end we'll do all the links and the stuff whatever but just real fast what what is zombie girls for those people out there who might not know we are a podcast network we're also uh over 10 years with the current cast almost i think 15 since the founding of the podcast the main zombie girls show is all female horror movie reviews well okay all female hosts who do okay. a movie review. <laughs> then there's uh there's the more deadly cast, which is a review of female and female identified uh, horror directors. There's the cast of Ka, which is about Stephen King's um, Dark Tower series. There is the untitled Nick Cage show, which is a, a filmography of Nicolas Cage films. Oh wow! Okay. And and then there is also Stream Queens which are our founder, Rachel, and our co-host, Mars. They review just random finds on streaming networks. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I'm super curious and also maybe have a vested interest. Have you ever thought about doing a whole discography of somebody else besides Nicolas Cage? Like, say, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there, but Kate Winslet, because she's awesome. I suppose that uh, <laughs> it could be moved in different directions. Um, yes, Kate Winslet is actually very awesome. I was talking with a friend about doing basically a Kate Winslet podcast where all we would do is talk about Kate Winslet movies. And I was very excited about the prospect of doing that. And then my friend passed away, which was a bummer on a lot of reasons, obviously. But yes. uh, 
you know, um, so I don't know, it might be, might be kind of hard emotionally to, to do that with another person because I'll always think of her, but I love the idea and she loved the idea and we both love Kate Winslet so much. So anyways, but those people who have tuned in today are not here to listen to me talk about my love of Kate Winslet. You can do that when you go back and listen to the episode of The Dressmaker, which was not very good, but Kate was, Winslet oh, was awesome. So I was going to say the, 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 the movie was beautiful. Oh, it was and beautifully she was amazing done. in it. Yes. The book was but that's okay that's okay that's what we're here today <laughs> we're here to talk about movies based on books or in this case short stories and this short story is called the quiet boy and then it inspired the movie antlers so let's jump right in with a quick description the quiet boy by nick and tosca is a short story of a teacher who learns her student is harboring a nightmare secret about his family it made a splash among horror literature fans when it was published in 2019 in the Grammarica magazine. You can read it for free online, and we will definitely put a link to that in the show notes and in the blog post for this episode. So, And then there's Antlers, which is the 2021 supernatural horror film directed by Scott Cooper, starring Carrie Russell. The screenplay was adapted from that short story, and the film follows a schoolteacher, as she suspects one of her students is suffering from personal problems in his home life not knowing that the student is actually harboring an evil demon in his house. So I'm going to do a real quick recap of the story, and then I'm going to do a real quick recap of the movie, and then we're going to dive into discussions. So here we go. The story, The Quiet Boy. The story is about a young fourth grade teacher who is brand new to teaching in a small, sad little town in West Virginia. She has no family. She is an outsider. She begins to suspect that something is going on in the home of one of her students based on a creepy story and some creepy drawings that he has made. The story is about Big Wolf, Middle Wolf, Little Wolf. Middle Wolf is taking care of the others, and it is poignant, and it sends up some big red flags about neglect and the child having to parent a potentially alcoholic parent. Also, the kid seems malnourished and always smells like quote, damp pets. So the teacher asks around. Other teachers have pretty much written him off. There is a younger brother who is apparently homeschooled. Teacher's name, by the way, is Julia. And Julia feels for this kid, Lucas, and she wants to help him. So she buys him clothes after realizing that he only has like one outfit and tries to get him enrolled in a special art thing for gifted students. Lucas is excited about the clothes and the art thing until she mentions having to talk to his dad. Then he shuts her down. She is determined to help him, though. First, she tries calling Lucas's house, but there's no answer. Knowing that he'll be stuck on the bus for a while, she drives over to his house, and it seems really badly maintained. Very dilapidated, very run down. The windows are all boarded up from the inside. She knocks, but there's no answer. But she feels like there is someone inside. So she looks through the windows, and she sees a shadowy figure watching her. But then it moves, and so she starts to doubt herself. She goes to the backyard, and she finds a tent with all of Lucas's stuff in it. He's apparently living back there all alone. Lucas gets home, and she hides. Lucas gets his bedding and such and takes off for the laundromat, and she's even more determined to help him. She's about to leave and call child services, but she thinks that she sees the little brother in the upstairs window. She knocks again, and then she starts to hear crying and other sounds of a child in distress from inside the house. So naturally, naturally, she breaks down the door. The crying instantly stops. She goes inside, and it is smelly and awful, and there's rotten food and other gross things, and a five-pointed star and icky substances smeared all around, and as she's trying to decide that she should go further in, she realizes that there are two corpses, a man and a little boy, on the floor, and that there is something behind her. It is very scary, and then a voice seems to whisper slash shout at her to take one more step. But she's like, fuck that, and she runs away. She calls the sheriff and the police arrive. They confirm the bodies and say that the basement is all locked up. And she's like, well, but I heard crying. And they're like, well, we don't really believe you. And then they're taking the bodies away. And Lucas comes home and he kind of freaks out about them taking the bodies away. And Julia tries to come for him. And it's decided that she will take him home with her for the night. So off they go. And Lucas is hella twitchy. They chat briefly with Julia's landlady. And then Julia orders pizza. And then suddenly she realized that Lucas probably should have gone to the hospital. Duh. So she calls the sheriff. And he's like, yeah, yeah, cool. But they're just we just discovered some bodies out here. And I'm really busy. And oh, yeah, we did get into that basement. And there was a bunch of dead small animals in there. And it was probably that kid. Who killed them? You know, the kid who's sitting in your living room right now, like all traumatized. So maybe you do want to take him to the station. They hang up and she grills Lucas, but he won't say anything. So eventually she calls the sheriff back and he's like literally at a crime scene and they're screaming people because some sort of crazy wild animal has gone on a killing spree. He's like, look, lock your doors. 
and then the signal goes out. And now they're screaming from outside of Julia's house. That's right, the hippie landlady is being murdered. And then there's some little weird creepy creature dancing around in the yard, separating the two houses. And Lucas is like, that's my brother Todd. You're dead, brother? Yeah. And here comes daddy. And both he and Todd are weird looking with like goat eyes and of course big ass antlers. They try to get into Julia's house and there's no signal and even though Lucas says they don't like the light, they don't have much light and then they're coming in and it's all very scary and Lucas says that she should just send him out and maybe they will spare her. But she's like, no way, Jose, even though part of her's like, hmm, maybe that might not be the worst idea. And then the big daddy evil thing is like, give him to me. And she's like, uh, and then the pizza arrives and the pizza boy is eaten. And this gives Julia enough time to formulate a last-ditch plan of barricading the two of them in the kitchen with these little teeny tiny fires that won't last very long. And then the big daddy guy and the little Todd guy are finished eating the pizza boy. Now they are inside. And again, they're looking all big and scary. And again, give him to me. And she's like, no. And then it's the next day. And someone finds all the bodies, the landlady body, the pizza boy body, the bits of Julia spread grossly all around the kitchen. And there's no Lucas. The end. So that was my shortened version of a very short story. The story is literally 8,000 words long. It's a 20-minute read. Okay, but now, now there's the movie. First, we get a Native American poem. Okay, now we are in a small town in Oregon. Frank Weaver runs a meth lab out of an inactive mine while his seven-year-old son Aiden waits outside in the truck. Suddenly, Frank and an accomplice are attacked by an unseen creature. There's groaning and clicking and growling and gunshots and wild shots of claws, and the little boy goes to investigate and disappears into the dark. Three weeks later, we meet Jules, a fourth-grade teacher, and her student, 12-year-old Lucas, who spends his time getting picked on by bullies and roaming the town collecting roadkill and killing small animals. Teacher Jules is trying to instill a sense of respect for stories in her class, and when Lucas shares the beginning of his own creepy AF story, she becomes alarmed. His story, by the way, is a bit different, more detailed. There are insides that get turned black. There's a big bear, a little bear. They're sick. Big bear's angry because there's no meat, but at least they have each other. Anyways, teacher Jules is very worried, and her worry intensifies when she sees his strange and frightening drawings, and so she attempts to bond with him. She's still dealing with her own trauma of being abused by her own father as a child and trying to reconnect with her brother Paul, who is the reluctant new sheriff of the town. Lucas, by the way, puts dog shit in the backpack of one of his bullies, and then there's a fight that Lucas loses because, of course, and then he is sent to the nurse, and teacher Jules sees just how scrawny he is, and she gets his file. She follows Lucas home, sees him looking at an ice cream shop, buys him ice cream, and they bond over ice cream. And she tries to get him to open up, asks about his brother and his mom. His mom is dead, by the way, and her mom is dead, too. Dead Moms Club. Oh, yeah, her mother died when she was 12, and Lucas is 12. Wow! Then she asks about his brother. His brother Aiden is 7. He asks about his dad, and he shuts her down and tells her not to follow him. But Lucas does follow birds and he finds some more roadkill. While he's packing up the roadkill, Jules has gone to his house. She knocks on the door, opens all creepy-like, and then there's growling in from inside, and then there's banging about, and she's like, no way, and gets the F out of Dodge. At home, she's putting Lucas's picture together to make a very creepy image, and there's a jump scare for Jules when her brother Paul comes in. He sees the picture, and he's like, what the fuck is that? He thinks it's something from California, because, you know, only California kids are creepy. They have a conversation about resentment and blame and her guilt in leaving him. And Lucas, by the way, is parceling up the roadkill and taking it to the locked room. He goes in with a headlamp. He brings a tray of food. Something feral and gross comes from the shadows to eat. And then something smaller also from the shadow comes. This is Aiden. And he looks bad, but not as bad as the thing that was obviously the dad. Lucas gets out, locks them back in. Jules is playing the piano, having flashbacks about her own abusive past. To not have to talk about her past... She asks her brother about Lucas's dad. Oh, yeah, he's a big drug addict and a drug dealer. And the brother, Paul, is very worried. And he warns her to stay away from that family. At the house, Aiden is calling for Lucas. He says he's hungry and he's crying. But Lucas puts on headphones so that he can ignore it. And out in the woods, Lucas is now making a trap, I think, or getting something from a trap. I couldn't tell because I don't know anything about hunting. But he does see a hunter who has also found part of a dead man. At school, Jules goes through Lucas's desk, and she finds his Bible and his sketchbook full of disturbing drawings, and she talks to the principal. And the principal is hesitant to do anything, but she says she will reach out to the father. Sheriff Paul tells Jules that a man, or at least a part of a man, was found in the woods. They're going to blame an animal or something. And then there's this nice, long close-up of the body all torn to shreds and chewed on, and the coroner says teeth marks, which are human. And now the principal has arrived at the Lucas house. Jules is showing some old movie, a monster movie for some reason, to her class. And Lucas is playing with a knife and a 
thing. I couldn't quite tell. We'll ask. I will ask Sarah. She probably knows. But I couldn't tell what it was. It was some kind of hunk of wood. Maybe an antler. I'm not sure. Anyways, Principal Ellen is going into the house. And apparently it smells really bad. And she goes poking around. And she sees the doors with the locks. And she hears Aiden crying. So she unlocks and opens the door. And it's really smelly in here. And it's really gross. And she finds Aiden. And he looks awful. And then Daddy is on her. And Daddy has like a weird light inside his chest. Anyways, Daddy eats her. Tears out her throat. And then eats her eyes. I think it looks like. Anyways, then he glows more, and then there's some weird body twitching, and then some breaking sounds, and then something comes out of his mouth. Uh, slam cut to the cops finding the other half of that half of man from the woods in the original mines from the original opening scene. There are also medicine bags hanging all about, and there's a new Native American consultant of some sort, and he talks to Sheriff Paul, and he says, well, those are medicine bags, and they're, they're wards of defense. And Paul's like, well, why are they here, and who hung them? And nobody answered, and by the way, nobody ever will. Okay, they also find an antler, and it's not from a buck. Lucas is walking in the woods again. His bully shows up and calls him all the bad words you can think of, and then something big is there, and Lucas runs because he is smart, and bully does not run because he is dumb, and then he gets eaten. And Lucas runs home and sees the principal's car and is like, oh shit, and he goes upstairs and he finds a body, or rather a very, very, very long blood trail. And Lucas covers up the car and cleans the floor. The cops arrive at Lucas's house, remark on the smell, the door doesn't open for them, and they take off. They did not bother to look at the car that's been covered up, and Lucas is quietly freaking out in a corner inside. Now the bully's parents are reporting him missing, and Paul is like, it must be a coincidence. I'm sure we'll find him. Jules is like, what the fuck? She can't wait for a warrant. It's time to ditch school and go to the house, find the principal's car under the tarp, because Jules knows how to look at things, and then she calls the cops. So now the cops go inside. They find Ellen's body and another body. Maybe and footprints for Daddy Frank and a child? One of the bodies is all burnt and flayed. It used to be Frank until something burst out of him. Lucas gets home and is taken to the hospital. The doctor says, psychotic trauma. He needs rest. He's been abused. Jules wants to take him in. Sheriff Paul has never heard of child services, and so she's like, I'm his teacher. And Paul's like, well, this isn't about you. Don't bring your past here. They fight about the abuse from their dad, and Jules wins by stomping off. Lucas is having his own flashback of when Daddy Frank got really sick and installed the locks, and he locked himself inside. He went through some kind of change. And at one point, they opened the door because Aiden was really sick and Daddy was hardly human anymore. He very clearly was trying to protect his boys by keeping them locked on the other side of the door. Paul is out talking to that Native American consultant dude about the medicine bags and the drawings and etc. And the consultant is like, is this artist native? Well, no. Well, that surprises him. But no matter. He shows a drawing of an antlered creature. That's right, folks. This evil creature is a wendigo. In this story, the mythos is that a wendigo is a creature of, quote, diabolical wickedness who devours mankind. It all started when a lost hunter was driven to cannibalism, became crazed, turned into spirits, and his appetite will never be satisfied. Paul's like, that's a cool myth, bro. And the Native American consultant is like, no, no, it is a cautionary tale all about eternally starving but always feasting. Also, you can only kill it in its weakened state by extinguishing its beating heart so it has to find a new host. Also, also, these spirits predate you white people, and the spirits, by the way, are angry, probably because you're like mining or something. Who knows? Another body is found. It is the bully body. It's been eaten in half. I start to wonder if the sheriff is inept or just the stock character of a white dude out of his element because of a magic. I.e., he doesn't believe anything is connected. He's not even sure about this whole Wendigo business. Jules totally is buying it. And for some reason, they release Lucas to Jules, and she and Lucas go back to her house, and there's a deputy dude here who's walking around the house for some reason, and Paul's off doing fuck all. So Jules shares her tragic childhood story with Lucas. Her mom died. Her dad died by suicide not that long ago. She'd already left. That's why she came back. Nobody cares. She's like, hey, did they tell you that your dad is dead? Because he is. And Lucas is like, no, he's not dead. That thing you found was my old dad. When he was sick and mean, my new dad is with Aiden. But Aiden doesn't understand. I need to feed him, so he'll love me. Jules is like, I too don't understand. And from my couch, I nod along, because I too do not understand. Anyways, Lucas shows more drawings and really ratchets up the creepy with this whole, my new dad is coming for me to take me into the mines to be with Aiden. He's here. Okay, he doesn't actually say it like that, but he kind of does. So the deputy dude outside hears something. It's time to investigate. Paul is on his way. The phone is ringing. Jules and the kid are hiding. Deputy dude has found Aiden, but then a big antler thing kills him from behind in a shed. Now Paul is here. Jules is like, oh, fuck, I better warn him. But then she doesn't. 
Lucas bails. Jules just kind of stands still. Now Paul goes into the shed, finds the body of the deputy dude. Then he gets hit by the antler thing, but not killed straight out like everyone else because plot, I guess. Paul is like, oh damn, what just happened? Maybe that Wendigo thing is real. The antler asshole grabs at Paul through a wall and he's poking it with like a garden tool, but then it gets him again and then down he goes. But yeah, he's still not dead. Antler dude has given up on Paul and has disappeared with both Aiden and Lucas, I guess. Jules has now decided that it's the perfect time to leave the house and venture across the yard. She too heads to the shed. She finds Paul and then hears this weird animal noise. Paul is not dead somehow, remember? So she decides to move him across the room. I'm not sure why or how. That was a cutscene. Anyway, they argue about if she should go alone to the mine and he insists on going with her despite his obvious life-threatening injuries. Ah, they're like not even going to call an ambulance to have them meet them or anything. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. She does indeed call the ambulance, but not until they've already driven all the way across town to the mine. And then she leaves him bleeding in the car. She takes his gun and she goes in alone. It's raining, by the way, for ambiance, I guess, because now we're inside and it doesn't really matter. Okay, so now she's going through the mine tunnels. She's finding all sorts of gross and weird things along the way. She finds Lucas and the Wendigo creature eating something. Wikipedia told me that it was a black bear. I totally could not tell. The antler thing has a humanish face and yes, lots of antlers. And she shoots at it and it knocks her over. And there's more shooting and there's flashes of lights and snorting and crawling and growling and a glowy chest and closed captions says gasping and shuddering over and over and over again. And now she has a flare and she's fighting him off with that. And there's a big pole randomly. And then she's stabbing him and Lucas is here and she's stabbing and stabbing and stabbing. And, and there's a lot of panting like a lot and then it falls over and lucas stabs it too i think well he grunts anyways according to the closed captions also closed captions has been calling my antler asshole or the wendigo guy they have him labeled as antlered man so now you know anyway he is on the ground moaning softly according to the closed captions and she rolls him over and she uses a random teeny tiny knife to get even more stabby right into his glowing heart she digs it out of his chest it is hot and then she drops it and then Aiden starts screaming because he's now changing and his chest is glowing and Jules is like well fuck but she's a woman on a mission so she grabs the knife but Lucas puts himself between her and Aiden and Lucas is like I can take care of him he's just sick and Lucas is like come on man don't kill my brother and Jules is like no he's never gonna get better so go over there look away she goes over to Aiden she hugs him she apologizes to him and then stab 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 Lucas cries Jules cries we fade to black later the Oregon coast is beautiful Paul and Jules are talking they're going to keep Lucas because again no one has ever heard of child services and all nonchalant they talk about how Lucas is maybe the Wendigo now apparently maybe and that they will probably have to kill him someday oh that's gonna be hard but wait Paul is coughing coughing and there's residue and maybe he's the Wendigo we don't know roll credits <laughs> oh this was actually on a for, mainly for creature design this was on our uh the zombie girls uh honorable mentions of 2021 oh yeah yeah didn't didn't make anybody's top 10 but it was <laughs> it was an honorable mention well now okay so you guys covered it did you did you read the story had you read the story before I, this no i i hadn't read the story and i remember that that it had been like posted up for free but then i couldn't remember and it wasn't until you were like hey you want to do this that i read the story Cool. And I, cool, cool. I gotta say, I gotta say, between the story and the and the movie, I think I mm -hmm. preferred the story better. I agree. Just because of the sentimental, the, the but like the changes that they that they made, it's like, oh well, you can't care about this person unless this person can't care about these kids unless she grew up here. And these two characters, if they're not gonna fuck, they have to be siblings. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the changes because okay, obviously, if you take an eight thousand word short story. And you want to make it into a movie, even a horror movie that has to be like decently, you know, long so people get their money worth, then you're going to have to pad it, right? We're talking yeah. lots of padding. We're talking like those special Victoria's Secret bras sculpting padding, like a lot of support and padding happening here to make it worth your while. I get that. But what they chose to do, what they chose to put in, I have like some serious problems with. So, okay. Okay, so let's just start at the top. Some of the, the more basic changes being the story, a lot of it was like a class struggle. There was the poor and the rich. Like the story is very short, but he, the author, did make a point of noting like the haves and the have nots, which was not yeah. the case in the movie. In the movie, everybody was just poor and sad. Okay, but what the movie decided to add in as our, our conflict kind of instead of the haves and the have nots is our Native American 
story people and are white people. And here's the fun thing. Okay. Or magical native. So the poem at the very beginning is uh, OGB, Ojibwe, O J I B W E. That is the name of the tribe. That is the name of the language that the poem was. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that tribe exists. Okay. That's a real tribe. Yeah. They live in Canada and in the northern Midwest of the United States. So totally not Oregon. Also, that tribe is known for mining. So I don't think they'd be bitter about the mining happening in this little Oregon town. So we're not only just going to add in the Native American thing, but we're also going to kind of butcher it. And then, and then they're going to cast one Native American actor, but they're, you know, the magical Negro, in this case, it's the magical Native American who has no role other than to show up and expose it. And then we're going to take the Wendigo myth about the hunter, but somehow turn him into a stag, which is not the, ah, so many problems with this. And and that that was definitely a complaint that we'd had about the movie was the, 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 the trope of the magical native. What I liked about the, the story was that it wasn't really grounded in anything. You knew that it's something from the dark side. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily tied down to one thing. And I there's some quote, and I can't think of it now because I'm a goldfish, but it has to do with like when you're writing a story, the broader idea, the more universal it is. Mm-hmm. So when you get something that's super specific, it doesn't work, right? So you have a broad thing. And this story is a classic example of that. We don't have the monster explained to us in the story. And that yeah. makes it way scarier. And then they decide, no, no, we're not only going to explain it, but we're going to really dial it down. But they can't come up with something new. So we're going to piggyback on something that already exists in folklore that's been done better in other things. I, why? Yeah, yeah, that's that. I think that's the the crime of the movie compared to the stories that, uh, hey, go with the folklore. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I like Wendigo movies. I, I like the legend, but it wasn't done very good. No, no, it, it seems the, kind the of episode, sloppy. The, there's an episode of Charmed where I think Piper becomes a Wendigo and that's done better than this. There's an episode of Supernatural. It's like the second episode of the first season where they deal with a Wendigo and they're like, they're in Colorado and they're like, why is a Wendigo way over here in Colorado? And they have to talk, you know, it's like a thing because here it's just never, oh yeah, Oregon. Yeah, same thing. Okay, so we had a couple other changes. Like you mentioned, the sheriff in the story is like a potential lover, you know, a little throwaway line. She's kind of like hot for sheriff, man. But then in the movie, it's he's her brother. And now we have a whole backstory, which leads us into another very large change, which is they gave Jules this backstory. They made her twice as old in the movie as she was Mm -hmm. in the story. And now she's been abused. And she's got survivor's guilt and blah, 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 which, like you said, goes to this idea that you can't sympathize for people unless you've gone through something the same or similar. And that's fucked up and not true. And also, it's like they couldn't wedge a romantic plot in there, so they just made them siblings. So, you know, because a man and a woman can't share screen time unless they're either related or romantic. Right, right. Those are the only two ways. Agreed. Of course. Of course. I mean, all the men I know, I'm either sleeping with or related to, right? That's how it works. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) All my guy (laughs) friends out there in the world are like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, that was really disappointing. And I, I, I'm not against characters having an abusive background or whatever. And I will say that the way that they did it, she definitely still has PTSD, you know? And it was, it was shown very well. There were these little subtle things she twice she's in a store looking at booze but not buying it and so you know you have like this idea that she wants to self-medicate she wants to escape she Mm -hmm. can't you know all of these things but it was never really fleshed out or dealt with it's like the rules of threes I was waiting for her to see the liquor a third time and she didn't okay so okay I guess we're skipping that and then also her brother has this whole thing like she's like you know I was abused I was abused I had to escape and her brother's like yeah well you left me you don't even know what he did to me and yeah. she never deals with that. She doesn't respond in any way. And that's really messed up, you know, because if mm-hmm. you're going to have this sympathetic thing to this little kid who reminds you of yourself, what about your little brother who you abandoned? But she doesn't really seem to feel guilty for leaving her brother as much as she seems to still be dealing with her trauma. And I'm not to say that, like, you can't deal with your own trauma, but it just it didn't seem very fleshed out. Yeah. And and he was just so, like, milk toast. Mm-hmm. he he just felt like he didn't have any edges he, he wasn't well-rounded but he had no edges 
yeah he didn't really want to be the sheriff but he was he didn't really want to figure stuff out but he kind of was there he just kind yeah. of was there i guess to have a scene partner for carrie russell let me say carrie russell is amazing she's beautiful and you know she's 45 46 in the story the young future was 23 that's a big yeah. difference yeah and i think it changes it changes the dynamic in there yes because you don't have this overly idealistic that was the thing in the story is she's so idealistic and she wants so badly to to make a change and to to be positive to these children and and then her her death is is a tragedy which of course is is the other big change in the story she dies Mm -hmm. all all bad and in the movie she lives like yeah she wins she goes all three of them live and one of the best parts of the story even though it was really short she had a couple moments where she was kind of like doing that very human thing of well look the monster wants this child (laughs) maybe i I could okay maybe maybe just give give him back the kid yeah i I can run right and obviously we don't want our heroes to do that but it is understandable that she would yeah. have that impulse, or at least the thought would cross her mind. And in the movie, we didn't get any of that. She's just gung-ho the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I liked that struggle and the fact that she chose to stay with the child, even though it then cost her her life. It makes it really sad, and it makes the whole thing sad, as opposed to, and then they kill the monster, and then maybe there's going to be a sequel. The end of the story also leaves you with like a haunted feeling like what happens next now is there still just the dad and the boy or now is there the dad and both the boys and you know are they all now what what happened with her did they just did they completely destroy her or is she out there with them yeah it's open-ended and ambiguous in a a good way in a really good way in a creepy way and that was the thing Mm -hmm. The, the short story was creepy It was creepy by not being something we've heard of, the Wendigo. It was creepy by not overly showing us too much. Mm -hmm. It was creepy that there were corpses and then these evil entities out there. So there was a double whammy. Yeah. And I like the lore that he could keep the force tied to the house as long as the bodies weren't moved. But Mm -hmm. as soon as the bodies were moved, they were free to to move. Yeah. Like, I wonder, like, what, how that worked. And not like they were tied to the, like the bodies where like they have to stay within, you know, one mile of their body. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? So like now the bodies are at the morgue, so you can kill anybody at the morgue and now the bodies are in the cemetery. So don't go to that cemetery. No, it's like once those bodies came out of the house, it's like the seal has been broken and now they can go anywhere they want. Yeah. And that is, that's creepy. And that's, that's a good mythos. I kind of want to know more about it, but I'm glad that I don't because it makes it creepier. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And then, you know, you have this idea, like I said, in the in the story, we have this haves and have nots. And she assumes that there's like an alcoholic problem and stuff, which sounds a little judgy. You know, she's definitely not from around there. And she kind of is looking down on this town a little bit, even though, you know, I, I'm here to save people. But she's not as bad as some of the other teachers. There's one mm-hmm. teacher in the short story who's like oh. super racist and oh, yeah. awful. Like, oh, yeah. okay, so I'm glad we don't have him in the, in the movie. But But there does seem to be a thread in both I think they're trying to go for which is like a generational trauma the cycles of abuse definitely more in the movie than in the in the story and the thing with the movie is that when we have these generations of abuse right you know the dad is is a drug addict and like the kids are are malnourished and whatever even before you get into the the magic aspect of it and and Jules is like dealing with her own trauma but the solution the way to break that cycle is is what do we actually break the cycle or are we just still there's still going to be somebody abusive there's still going to be some kind of negative trauma there's still going to be people set and that's depressing and mm-hmm. i mean the story ends in a creepy way but not in a depressing way you're you're like oh no what's about to happen in the movie it ends and you're like oh oh great great yeah you're, it res- resigned almost which is depressing yeah I, I i get that you know and i think part of it too also comes from like the change in location and not even like the change in location but the the economic socio change of the location because the town's just so de- so depressed and so nobody wanted to be sheriff because he's having to evict everybody he's mm-hmm. you know he's arresting people for drugs you know when the teach when the principal's like well yeah they pull kids out of school all the time so they don't smell the meth on their clothes and it's yeah. just the whole thing feels hopeless yeah the and and I will say from a cinematography standpoint, the, the ambiance, the atmosphere, they did a good job with mm-hmm. the location shots and the score and the set design. It You just feel 
sad and claustrophobic even in this coastal town Mm -hmm. and and depressed just just beaten down everything's kind of dingy everything's just sad Uh, it's an interesting change to do that you could have done that in west virginia i think it might have had to do more with coal at that point maybe over there but you know you definitely could have i i'm not really sure why they moved it to oregon so maybe they didn't want to deal with accents tax break on the canadian coast there you go (laughs) easier to film there (laughs) sure i don't know yeah so but they did a really good job of making it de- really depressed. In the story, mm-hmm. there was there were the two kinds of towns because there was the lower class, you know, yeah. she kind of erred, not there. I don't want to go there. And then there's the other part of town. Mm-hmm. So just definitely changing. And we got rid of our, our hippy-dippy landlady, which was mm-hmm. fine, and our racist teacher, which was fine. And then we add in, of course, our magical, magical native. native exposition man. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, there is something else. In both, we have the idea that stories are important. They teach us something or show us something, right? In both of them, she's talking about to her class, this is why stories matter. And, you know, there's different kinds of stories and fables and whatever. Now, in the short story, there doesn't really seem to be a lesson. The evil creatures are not explained. So there's no bad behavior to avoid. You know, this is the short story, The Quiet Boy, is not a morality tale. Yeah. The evil is not stopped by goodness or love or grit or anything. There's no lesson on how to achieve or overcome. There's kind of this outsider versus insider in-group in the class system, but they're not really developed. So it just seems like the point the author makes by going out of their way to be like, hey, you know, stories are important and myths are important and let's talk about fables. To me, that feels just like, a plot point to get us to the point where the kid could write a creepy story and share it into the classroom. But in the movie, we have the same talk about how stories are important and fables are important. And then you have our magical Native American saying, it's not just a story. It's a cautionary tale. It's, you know, it's important and it's symbol and it's actually real and stuff. So I'm trying to figure out what the story, not, not the plot of the movie, but the story of the movie. And the only thing I could come up with and, tell me if you think this is right is that maybe there's a lesson about the systems failing us that are supposed to help you know in the school system and community and and you know the town should look out for you and like all of that stuff and it's just really failing these kids and family is failing like Jules and Paul don't have a good family structure but then they they kind of support each other at the end I'm not sure maybe there's like supposedly a story about punishment for messing with the native lands because that kind of gets brought up. I don't know, because then in the movie, they add the Wendigo. So then there's like, the spirits are angry. I don't know. I'm not sure. Is there a lesson in this movie? Yeah, I mean, he kind of talks about the about the mind, because they talk about, you know, possibly reopening the, reopening the mind and how the spirits are angry. And it's like, well, that mind was open for a lot of years before. Why are they angry now? Mm-hmm. And it felt like, in the movie, it felt like they were trying to do a mythical tale eco horror and regular like a monster movie with a little bit of a morality tale like drugs are bad right <laughs> and kind of missed on all of them yeah yeah and then the only reason she really wins i guess is because she's got the grit to go down in there mm-hmm. but she doesn't really win but uh, if we say that she did she wins because she's not afraid to go chasing after this thing which in my book is just stupid and she's not afraid to kill the child which in my my cynical little brain i'm like aiden is little and if he's an evil entity you could lock that kid up and like control it a lot easier than potentially lucas who's bigger or herself because when she kills the thing we've been told by our magical native american that the spirit will like look for another host and that she literally she had an object lesson in how this happens because she kills daddy frank you know, or the thing that, you know, was that the Wendigo and then Aiden yeah. immediately takes over. So what is the fuck does she think is going to happen when she kills Aiden? Like, it's just going to like melt into the ground. This isn't the Wicked <laughs> Witch. Like, it's either going to go to her or it's going to go to Lucas or it's going to go somewhere. I don't understand Carrie Russell's thought or Jules's thought process here yeah. at all, at all. Here, be free. Yes, exactly. Be somebody <laughs> else's problem. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be free to find an empty soul. I mean, and it, it go, the movie goes out of its way twice to tell us that stories matter and on all of this stuff. And then we just don't really get that. Yeah. And then, like I said, if, if we are talking about generational trauma now, we're all infected. So like nobody gets better. And that's freaking dark and pessimistic. And I don't like it. 
So. <laughs> yeah. Especially uh, when you're trying to heal from your own, right? I mean, <laughs> did I feel seen? No, no, maybe a little. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so I have some other notes here. The medicine bags seemed like just just freaking cliche well we have native americans better stick some medicine bags that we're not going to explain and also like who put them there and yeah and why what yeah well i mean he was carving like a totem skull when they were watching the movie that's what he was carving like oh a totem skull. he was carving so, on a piece of wood okay it was a yeah skull. so thank you so it how does he know all this lore right okay you know? Okay, and the Native American, our magical Native American said, is the artist, you know, is the boy Native? And they were like, no. And he was like, oh, that surprises me because apparently, I don't know. And so I thought, well, maybe the mom was Native. And so, but she died. I went back and looked. And obviously you cannot tell just by looking at somebody, you know, what their ethnicity is. But Mm -hmm. they could have cast somebody who looked very stereotypically Native. And they did not do that. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to, and why did the Wendigo, it's just been chilling in the mines like this whole time, like not and, in and a there's, and, body. And you're telling me it's been closed this long and there's, and it hasn't like possessed teenagers and other meth dealers that right? were down there making meth or whatever. Yeah. I, it, it falls apart if you think about it at all. Also like who moved the body? So like, okay. So the Wendigo's in the mine, like just chilling, like living his best life in the dark. And these two meth heads show up to like cook meth. And the Wendigo's like, I'm going to wait till you're almost finished. Then I'm going to eat one of you and possess the other one. I think, I don't know exactly what happened, but that is my idea. And then the guy, so now we have, we have a dead guy and a live guy who's now the Wendigo, but maybe like the Wendigo now kills the guy, whatever. We leave half the body in the mine and we take the other half and we go stick it in the forest and nobody finds it for like a month and then somehow they know to go look in the mine for the other hat i'm so confused nobody freaking knows what's going on in this movie and i don't know what's going on in this movie and i don't know the body get moved i don't i don't know whatever also also just a tiny thing i know meth heads aren't you know always thinking with all of the cylinders but at the beginning of the movie we see this truck out there right and it's running and then he's inside working and he comes out to check on the little kid and he's like daddy's still working i'll be out in a little bit and then he goes back in i'm like the truck is running this is a socioeconomic place that's super depressed why would we waste gas to just run the truck hot foot for hour how long are they down there for right was it to keep the heater on because the kid was not even in there i just i get that yeah i could see that i i I didn't even notice the truck was running i did like the fact that in the movie the dad was actually trying to save his sons that Mm -hmm. was nice and if it is making some kind of point about generational trauma or like drugs are bad people who are addicted to drugs are not inherently evil people this man cared for his children and he wanted to protect them from what was happening and he did what he could do and again that's this is what led me to think maybe that whole idea that our systems that we should trust are failing us because in a different world if you are suddenly you know very very sick or something's happened to you or you're scared you would go to the police or or the hospital or something for help and he obviously did not feel like there was any help for him and his only recourse was to lock himself into his own home and that's just really tragic and sad we're not going to explore that in this movie of course but like it's there maybe it is if we look real hard i felt really bad for daddy frank in the in the in the movie not sure what killed them in the book at all i they just were already dead and then their entities were 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 stuck in the house i'm not yeah you don't know and i and that is scarier it's scarier to not know it's scarier when they're afraid of the light it's scarier when they're prancing around dude yeah mm-hmm. yeah they're the, the the shadows are dancing with but like they're not they don't look right they're like off center and the the antlers aren't you know yeah it just the description the the little the little bit of description because we don't get a lot other than like a shadow with antlers that prances but that's fucking scary yeah yeah it is because it's so non-human you know what i mean like yeah it's it's so outside of the realm but it doesn't get into the campy corny aspect because let me tell you the monster in the movie i know that it looked interesting but it didn't 
it looked silly to me and i'm not a oh. i'm not a horror movie person i'll yeah. just say that yeah. but like and especially because close i mean maybe i shouldn't have been watching it with closed captioning but closed caption was like antlered man <laughs> like you know and i was like oh yeah it's just a corny name <laughs> antlers and antlers should be scary they're big they're bone they hurt you like they're but like i don't know it it yeah especially since it seemed to kill everybody except for randomly paul i you know it's like well mm-hmm. how scary are you paul should have died yeah paul should have died i mean i think i thought the creature effects in the movie were were cool like the Mm -hmm. the father when that scene where it shows him from the top and he's screaming and his hair's just plastered down he's all coated in blood when the the creature turns and it's still wearing his face yes there there were those moments were good i think really great moments with that what ruined it for me was the end really when we were seeing more of the quote-unquote monster in the red light and it was like i'm an antler man thing like mm-hmm. that it, that was not good but and and that's the thing the human aspect is always scarier when little lucas is feeding the family and like behind the first of all the locked doors was scary right you're like what is in those doors and also lucas like in bed putting on headphones so he doesn't listen to his brother cry like that's disturbing and scary and then when he yeah. goes in there and you kind of just see like in the shadow about his dad or a little bit and like there's a little glowy and you can see a little bit of the head and whatever that's way scarier i feel like you know your mileage is going to vary but the the human component of that and the grossness of the bodies that were destroyed and chomped on and whatever was much scarier and more gross to me than when we've got freaking Carrie Russell and a pipe down in a mine and you know she's gonna and I was like I'm pretty sure she's gonna win because it just had that vibe you know like yeah like how how in the story it talks about how like they're twisted like somebody rang out a rag Yes, the little body, the the, the animal yeah. bodies, right? Yeah, well, the animal bodies, and and then uh, the the guy that was murdered at the lake, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how they were just torn to pieces and just yeah, yeah. But those human components are way scarier to me, I guess, because I mean I'm human, right? <laughs> Last I checked, and so things that could actually happen to a human are scarier to me than like the you know the skin bad skin problems of some creature that isn't real. <laughs> so. I have a little bit of trivia here, and then I'll get into my best worst, and uh, we answer our very important question of whether or not it was worth our time. So here's our trivia. (laughs) This makes me laugh so hard. The IMDb tagline, and I love you, IMDb. I, you know, you're great. You're great. I don't know who writes for you, but more power. Okay, the IMDb tagline for this movie is, and I quote, pray it desires not you. Okay, that... uh... (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) and i kept when i was writing it in my notes i kept fixing i was like pray it doesn't desire you nope that's not what it said you know pray it's not you it desires nope nope pray it desires not you (laughs) yeah okay okay we did already talk about the uh the actual the the tribe that was the wrong tribe and i do have a link of actual organ tribes organ native first peoples i will definitely put that in the blog post for this episode so you can see because i think that that is an important aspect that you should be aware of it was filmed in the same location and town as the rambo first blood movie so if those trees looked familiar (laughs) rambo first blood by the way also based on a book coming to a podcast player near you within the next year or so i gotta convince one of my team members that that's the one we should do so anyways we're we're gonna do that at some point and i'll be like hey did you know that this was at the same place that they filmed antlers so, i really like that movie i you know what it's been a really long time but i did read the book forever ago i actually got to see the author at a at a writing conference years and years and years ago I, he's an interesting guy okay so that was that let's see here our director scott cooper had previously directed christian bale in the western hostels Native American themes and issues are quite important to me, he says. Okay. In order to stay true to the Wendigo legend, he worked with one of the foremost authorities on the mystery of the Wendigo, whose name is Grace Dillon. She's a professor at Portland State University. She's, again, ironic because, you know, Wendigo mythos is not in Portland, but whatever. She said to me, Scott, the Wendigo can manifest in many ways, but it's first and foremost a spirit. So, okay. Okay. So they said that they discussed that the monster creature that this is, the Wendigo, is a creature of God that kind of reflects our own demons and feeds off of our worst potential. 
It represents kind of a surrogate for the issues that people would rather not confront. And I'm like, I would have liked to see that movie where you actually made the one to go do all of that because that is not what happened in this movie. I think something got lost in the in the in the making. Yeah. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro was a producer of this, but he's not actually listed on the credits but uh, he's connected he was going to be the director but then i guess he just was the producer hmm. i'm not sure how that works in hollywood i think it could have benefited from more of him that might yeah have, that might have helped wasn't quite enough yeah i think so so now i've got my good bad little stick with you and then was it worth your time so the best part of the story for me was the weirdness and the worst part of the story was the ending because I like happy endings. But the stick with me is what my mind created for the monster because it wasn't overly explained and the ending. So I think it did its job. Uh, that ending is going to stick with me. The monster is going to stick with me, even though I'm bummed that it wasn't happy. And uh, the, the that, so, yeah, the best part was the weirdness. So what about you? What's your best, worst, and what's going to stick with you in terms of the story? I think the ending's going to stick with me because, like you said, it wasn't a happy ending. They mentioned it wasn't even until day, like days later, when they found the twisted pizza guy, because they barely got to that and had and then realized she was missing, and that was that left a really creepy impression. The image my mind created of the creature, you know, the creatures, you know, dancing across the across the darkness, prancing, uh, I think prancing, you mean to say prancing, prancing yes. across the darkness. Just yeah, definitely leaves some some chills in your spine. So those are definitely things that would stick with me for the for the story. Yeah, and and I think the thing is too, prancing is such a happy word. We think of like happy. You prance when you're happy, you know. And mm -hmm. and prancer is a is a reindeer. He helps out Santa. Like it's a it's a happy word. But no, when when something evil and bad who wants to eat you is prancing, that thing has no fear. You cannot touch it, and it is going to win. So mm -hmm. yeah, prancing. Yeah. Okay. So then for the movie. The best part for me was the scenery and the atmosphere. Also, the kid walking into the darkness at the beginning. I was literally, I was like, okay, it's a horror movie. I'm ready. I'm here for it. There was already death. Like, we're all good. The kid's walking in. I'm like, there's going to be a jump scare. There's going to be a jump scare. I'm like clinging to the cat, ready for the jump scare. And then there was no jump scare. And he just disappeared into the darkness. And I was like, ooh, okay, mm -hmm. that, was, that was well done. So, yes, the scenery, the atmosphere, and the kid. The worst part of the movie for me was all the grunting. <laughs> Gotta tell you, closed captioning <laughs> had a field day with that. And then um, the inclusion of the Native American stuff, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And my, my unanswered questions, which we've already talked about. I also really think that the title was rather dumb. The thing that's going to stick with me is, honestly, I'm so sorry. The closed caption is calling it Antlered Man. <laughs> like that just never going to forget that. So what about you? What's your uh, best worst and what's going to stick with you with the movie? The best worst, uh, well, the worst worst was the uh, magical native. Agreed. That really took something out of there. Like I said, the trying to give it like a mythos and a, trying to give everybody a backstory just didn't work. Was there a best? Is there any part of the movie you liked? I, I love the, the the special effects with the father, the way he's like just kind of decomposing or degenerating. The makeup and that looked cool. Like I said, that scene where the, where the monster turns and it's still wearing his face is great. The creature concept itself was cool. But yeah, rewatching it again, I was like, oh yeah, they CGI'd the hell out of that. <laughs> and what's going to stick with you with the movie? The claustrophobia in the in this, this, this cinematography and the setting. Because you have the, the small roads, the all the trees that are very enclosed, the mountains that enclose everything, the fog that encloses everything, the water that you're up against. It just feels, yeah, yeah, the claustrophobia. Okay. So, Sarah, was this story worth your time? Was this movie worth your time? And if somebody had to pick, which one would you tell them? Should they watch, read, do both, neither? What say you? Definitely read the story. I, I highly recommend the story. The movie, like I said, I really liked this movie the first time I saw it, but now that I've read the story, not so much, not as <laughs> not as much. But as far as the movie goes, like I, I, I wouldn't turn it off. I'd watch it again if it was okay. on. I'd, I'd leave it on. You and know. you are a a horror movie aficionado, right? <laughs> so, like, where does this go in your realm of horror movies? Like, on the scale of best to worst or worst to best or whatever. And I was going to like throw out some titles, but I haven't seen enough to actually do that. So I won't. But like on that scale, where would you put this movie? On a scale of one to 10, I'd put it about a 
five, four or five. It's average. Okay. It's not like I like I said. It's 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 a back. It's a good background noise movie. It's a good like don't have to really super pay attention to it movie. Might be better if you don't. It it might it, it it's probably I'd imagine like it would be a good uh, slumber party movie. Ah. Blah. Do you read a lot of horror? I know you watch a lot of horror. Do you read a lot of horror? Not as much as I used to. Okay. Okay. For me, I would say definitely yes. Read the story. First of all, it's free and it will take you 20 minutes and it's well written. It is tight. The prose is good. It does what short stories should do. It like gives you a sample of something and leaves you kind of wanting more. And that is good. It does exactly what it sets out to do. It is a creepy little story. It's not a novel. It's not going to change the world. It's not going to be the best, you know, or worst thing you've ever read. It does. It's just, it's just exactly what it is. It's a perfect little, perfect little creepy story. And I could totally see it being something like you would tell around a campfire or like you said, at a slumber party. Oh, did you mm-hmm. hear about the antler man? You know? Okay. That's cool. The movie, I, I will not watch it again. There's no reason I would know. <laughs> and I will say that if this is the kind of movies that you like, then you would probably find something you know in it and if you're not a horror movie well then you're obviously not going to watch it anyways so i read this thing when i was doing my research and it was from the uh roger ebert website which is it's not roger ebert anymore but it's that that's the thing and it said this is what it says it scott cooper makes films about broken people guillermo del toro has made several films about broken places they're both fascinated with the darkness and fans of their work should see what they've pulled out of it for antlers. So I, I'm going to go with that. If you're a fan of Scott Cooper, then you definitely probably would enjoy this film. If you like Guillermo del Toro, then you're probably going to watch and be like, oh, I wish he'd done more. But it probably will be worth your you know, hour and a half or however long it is. But if that is not the thing that dips your Oreo, go ahead and give it a pass. But definitely still read the short story. Yeah, I agree with that. There you go. If you're a Carrie Russell fan, uh, oh, yeah, check check out the movie Grim Love if you're looking for Carrie Russell in a horror film. Okay. She plays an American reporter in Germany looking into a case. I don't remember if it is the Armin Muse case or if it's a case like it, but okay. Do you, are you familiar with Armin Muse? Nope. I was going to nod and pretend and then hopefully you didn't ask, but you asked. So now I have to admit, nope. He's he's known as the German cannibal. He he met somebody online and over a cannibal uh, website forum and and uh, arranged a meeting. Okay. And he and he videotaped the whole thing. Oh, delightful. Yeah. So is it a <laughs> like a slasher horror film that no, or no, is it more of a, like a suspenseful more thriller? More of a suspenseful thriller type. Okay, I like those. So this is this is kind of fun. You were at my house. Yes. Audience member. Sarah is actually local and she got to come to my house for, for food. I don't think I cooked. I think you guys actually brought food, whatever. Anyways, we were sharing a meal and we were talking about horror and I was like, I don't like horror movies. And you were like, Oh, what about this? And I was like, Oh yeah, I liked that movie. And you're like, well, what about this? And I was like, Oh yeah, I like that movie too. And you're like, well, what about this, this, and this, and this, and this. And I was like, Oh yeah, those are all cool. Are those horror? And you're like, yes, those are horror. I can't remember any of their titles right now, but I realized that I don't like slasher movies and I don't like a lot of gore, but if it's suspenseful and a thriller, and I guess that's a type of horror, then I, and I'm not as opposed to it as I thought I was. So thank you for reminding me to have a more open mind and not pigeonhole myself. And she's laughing. You can't see, but she's laughing at me from over there, but yeah i know i know we talked about silence of the lambs being one of them mm-hmm. i don't know if you've seen it but you'd probably like it used to be on hulu i don't know if it still is a movie called swallow from 2020 never heard of it uh, it's uh, about a woman with the addiction to swallowing things oh god oh no oh no i can see that would go really bad it could potentially be very dangerous okay well that's actually not as gross as what i imagined when you said swallow i was like oh no <laughs> is it okay but if you want to hear more from sarah about horror movies you should definitely check out zombie girls and tell the people First off, the uh, exciting and unique way of spelling zombie girls, and then also where they can find all the zombie girls things and places and what's coming up. Zombie girls, first of all, it's uh, zombie, typical spelling, girls, G-R-R, 
LZ, kind of like Riot Girls. Girls. So you can find us at zombiegirls.com. You can find us uh, on Twitter at ZG Podcast. You can find us at Instagram at ZG Podcasts. We also have merch available at uh, T Public. So, and we are available on pretty much every podcast catcher that's out there. And you guys release like once a week, right? Because it's a network, so something is coming. Yeah, at, at least once a week, if not every two weeks. We we also put out uh, different specials, and we do have a uh, Patreon bonus content. So every episode of your Patreon subscriber, there's an extended episode that we do stuff at the end. Later this month, we're going to be uh, recording uh, an original Zombie Girls podcast show on psycho 3 and the exorcist 3 and doing bonus content on the uh, ari aster short strange things about the johnsons okay very cool well if any of that sounded familiar or exciting to you check out zombie girls and um thank you so much for tuning in here to pages and popcorn podcast remember you can find out more information at kmmamedia.com and yes we are on twitter technically but i wouldn't really go there but you can find kmma underscore media on instagram and you can find ghost anthropology and pages and popcorn podcast they both have their own facebook pages they're both on the the website kmmamedia.com and of course there's me you can follow me on instagram you can follow me on twitter you can follow me on tiktok i'm all over the damn place so uh and i'm of course on facebook as well so thank you so much for listening sarah thank you so much for being a part this was super fun um come back anytime Anytime I have to talk about horror movies. I can send you a list of stuff. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) A verbal contract is binding, isn't it? Darn it, no. (laughs) 